Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. Many believers are of the opinion that if the Lord would just bless you, all would be well. Well, let me just tell you, that is not the case at all. Life is full of trouble. As a matter of fact, the book of Job says, man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. It's in Job chapter 14, verse 1. As a matter of fact, uh, the more the Lord blesses you, the more you may have trouble. Uh, trouble often comes along with the Lord's blessing. So just because you're having problems doesn't mean that the Lord isn't with you or is even blessing you. So even when you're walking with the Lord and are blessed by the Lord, you can have problems. Now, some people hear that. That's a relief. I don't know how many Christians over the years have talked to me and said, wow, uh, I thought because I was having all this trouble, the Lord had deserted me or something. Not necessarily so. As a matter of fact, I'll go one step further. You could actually have problems because the Lord is blessing you. The blessing could provoke the problem. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Well, how do you handle that when the blessing is coming from the Lord and you are meeting difficulty in the face of that? Well, there's an illustration of that in the book of Genesis with Isaiah. I'm sorry, not Isaiah, Isaac. How did I get Isaiah in the book of Genesis? So will you turn with me to Genesis chapter 26 and let's look at Isaac and the fact that God was abundantly blessing him and he ran into a huge problem. I'm going to begin reading with chapter 26, verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. Now let's pause here for just a second. We'll pick it up at that point in a minute. But I just want to pause long enough to say that this passage is teaching that Isaac was blessed. He was abundantly blessed. Now let me... Uh, the way this is stated, it could slip through your fingers. So look carefully at the text. Look at verse 12. He sowed in the land. All right. As a farmer, he planted crops. And he reaped. So the crops were successful. Not a drought that year. Rain came, and he had a good crop. 
But then look at what it says next. In the same year, one year's crop, and he reaped one hundredfold. That's, an, that, that's a bumper crop. Any farmer would be thrilled if he got a hundred times more than he anticipated. Now this is attributed to the blessing of the Lord, and the Lord blessed him. So he worked, it says he sowed, he reaped, he worked, but it was that the Lord was blessing him as well. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation today with a lady who was saying to me, you know, what I've learned going through a very difficult situation is that you have to totally depend on the Lord. And if the Lord doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. But you've got to put forth a lot of effort, and if you don't do that, uh, that won't work either. And she reminded me of a sermon I preached once and talked about the way you live the spiritual life is the way you grow a garden. You hoe like it all depends on you, and you pray like it all depends on the Lord. You hoe like it all depends on you, because it does. And you pray like it all depends on the Lord, because it does. So this is the case. There's no question but that Isaac worked, he sowed, he planted, he reaped, and yet at the end of that verse it says, and the Lord blessed him. Now that's a hundredfold the first year. Look at verse 13. The man began to prosper. I tell you, if you made an investment and got back a hundredfold, you'd be prospering, right? I mean, that's prospering. But it says he began to prosper. Began. We haven't seen the end of the story yet. This is the beginning. And he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Now, let me just tell you, in real simple terms, he got filthy rich. This is the biblical Hebrew way of saying it. Uh, he began to prosper. He continued to prosper. And he became very prosperous. Can I use the word prosperous more times than that? Three times in that short verse? Three times. And the point is, this man was abundantly blessed of the Lord, and he became very, very rich. Now, if you'd like to know what that prosperity looked like in that day, look at verse 14. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So, in verse 12, he sowed. In verse 14, talks about his flocks and the possession of herds and many servants. So I guess he was planning to feed the flocks, uh, not to mention what they ate out of that besides. So by the measure of that day, this fella was very rich. Now, I said a minute ago that you could be blessed of the Lord and have a problem, right? Let me tell you what the problem was. Matter of fact, I said a minute ago that the blessing of the Lord could cause the problem. Remember? Well, here's the example. Look at the end of verse 14. So the, Phil uh, the, Philist the Philistines were envious of him. They envied him. So now comes the problem. He was so wealthy, the Philistines 
were jealous. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't be too much to say that they were intensely jealous, as this passage is about to demonstrate. They resented him. They resented that he was getting rich. Now, they lived in the same area. Why weren't they prospering like he was? Well, maybe he worked harder. Maybe he had many servants and, you know, the rich get richer. Or maybe it was the Lord. And the one thing the text says is the Lord blessed him. At any rate, here he is with great prosperity and opposition, envy, jealousy. And that's only the beginning. If you drop down to verse, uh, verse 16, Abimelech said to him, Get out of here. Go. Uh, you're much mightier than we are. We're, what is he saying? We're afraid of you. So we're envious of you, and we're afraid of you. In verse 27, toward the end of the passage, it says, um, Why have you come to me, now this is Isaac talking, since you hate me. Now that's what's going on. He gets blessed of God, and instead of them saying, good for you, great job, they resent him, they're envious of him, they fear him, and they hate him. Now let me ask you a question. You ever had anything like that happen? Have you ever had anybody be envious of you? You ever had anybody, um, well, fear you? That you might take their job? That you might get what they want? Have you ever had anybody get angry with you and hate you? If you haven't, just wait a while. It'll happen. Sort of the nature of life. Now, how do you handle that? The point I've made so far is very simple. Isaac got blessed of God, and because he was blessed, he ran into opposition. So what is that? How do you handle that when you get some real opposition from people? Well, this gets real interesting. Well, let's pick up the story at um, verse 15. Now, the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we are. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah and dwelt there. Incredible. All right, here's what's going on. Back in his father's day, they dug wells. His servants dug wells. The Philistines were so in opposition of Isaac, they came and filled up the wells. Now, that's the lifeblood if you have crops and if you have herds and flocks. I mean, you've got to have water. So for them to do this was really interesting. In the first place, they had made a covenant with Abraham. 
So they are breaking the covenant. By covering up those wells, they are breaking the covenant. This is like a declaration of war. They were so envious, they were so fearful, that they just were going to get him out of town. They were going to run him out of town, force him out of town by cutting off his water supply. All right, here's what's going on. He's blessed of God. He has this opposition. So what do you do? What do you do? What did he do? Look at verse 17. He departed, pitched his tent somewhere else. Wow! Now let me establish a principle that cuts across all of our relationships, not just when you have some opposition, not just when God is blessing you. You need to mark this and mark it well. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and look at verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do you see that? If there's the slightest possibility, always choose peace. So Isaac, who had the right to those wells because of the covenant made by his father, said, I'm not going to fight you. I'm just going to leave. I'll go somewhere else. Now, embedded in this is something going on that is not quite stated. This implies, necessitates, what? That he's going to trust the Lord. He was aware that it was the Lord blessing him. And so instead of sticking up for his rights and going to war, he just said, Nada, I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to be at peace with you. So he just moves away. All right, what happened next? Verse 18, And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them the names by which his father had called them. So he just moved to another part of the land, and he dug more wells. He started all over. Verse 19, And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. So, he dug these wells and called them by the same name his father called them. He named these wells, which implies ownership, by the way. And they found an artesian well. And they're prospering again. Why? Because he's trusting the Lord. He's being at peace with his neighbor. And the Lord's blessing him. So all is going to be well, right? I mean, he did the right thing. He moved, so we're going to be at peace. He's seeking peace, so we're going to get peace, right? Not so fast. Look at verse 20. But the herdsmen of that location where he was quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with 
him. And then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called it Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they quarreled over it. I mean, it's going on and on and on. Every time he digs a well, somebody is going to quarrel. In the first place, he named the well a Hebrew word, which means contention. And in verse 19, he named the well Setna, and that Hebrew word means strife. And he's simply naming the wells after what is going on, and every time he does something, he's hitting nothing but strife, contention, envy, fear, hate. I'm going to wrap it all up and say, God is blessing him, and he is meeting nothing but opposition. I mean, every time he turns around, he digs a well, he goes to all that effort, and it does nothing more than cause another war. Seems like uh, it's following him around like his shadow on a hot, sunny afternoon. So he says, he finally uh, built the well, and they did not quarrel with him. That's verse 22. And so he called that place Rehoboth, which means in Hebrew, a wide place. God finally gave us room. As a matter of fact, the latter part of the verse says, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now let me tell you what's staggering about this story. He didn't have to move. He didn't have to move the first time. As a matter of fact, um, he had a covenant. Remember I mentioned that? His father had a covenant with these very people. And look at what they said about him. They said in verse 16, get out of here, go from us, for you are much mightier than we are. So he did not have to leave. He had the wherewithal to stay and fight. But instead of doing that, he said, I'd rather be at peace. If I have to dig wells three times, I will dig wells three times. But I am going to live in peace. So I think embedded in this story, though not stated, is he is doing two things. He is trusting the Lord, and he is pursuing peace. He is being gracious to his neighbor. And that, I submit to you, is the way to handle opposition, even when the Lord is blessing you. Just be gracious. Because if the Lord is blessing you, which means you are trusting the Lord, then... He can trust you, in, I mean, he can bless you in one neighborhood as well as another. And as long as you keep trusting and as long as you keep acting graciously and living in peace, he's going to want to bless you all the more. Got it? I've made two points so far. Got them both. The Lord blessed him and he got opposition. And he took that as an opportunity to trust the Lord and live in peace.
So that's the end of the story, right? So let's go home. Not yet. Don't pack up yet. There's more to the story. And the more to the story is what is incredibly fascinating to me. If I were going to outline this passage, I'd say first he encountered opposition. Then he took that opposition as an opportunity to trust the Lord and be gracious. And the rest of the chapter gives us the outcome. Look at what happened. Look at verse 23. It's where we left off. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. I'm with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. What a verse. What a verse. This is his outcome with the Lord. Would you read that verse in the context of this passage and say, the Lord was pleased with him? Yeah. Yeah. Just underscore all the things the Lord said to him. I'm your God. Isn't that comforting? No matter what you're going through, I'm your God. Don't worry. Matter of fact, that's what he says next. Do not fear. Why? I'm your God. And that means I'm going to be with you. And then he says, I'm going to be with you and I am going to bless you. Now, this is an extension of the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham. He says that. And he promised to fill through his son Isaac. So God, in this passage, is is appearing to him for the second time. This is the second personal visit the Lord has given to Isaac. It's the second revelation to Isaac. And he says, Isaac, buddy, don't fear them. There's nothing in the passage that said he was doing that, but he could have, I mean, getting shut down three times. Don't fear. I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. And beyond you, your descendants. So I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to bless your grandchildren. I'm going to bless your descendants as as the sand of the seashore and stars in the sky. You have, uh, I've made a covenant with you, and all this is going to say is uh, the Lord is faithful to his covenant, which is a huge part of the book of Genesis. So here's his response. Verse 25, so he built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there they dug another well. (laughs) Love it, love it, love it. I think what's going on here is that uh, Abraham, as God's made a promise with Abraham, the Lord appears to Isaac, his son, and says, I'm going to be faithful to that covenant I made, and so don't fear anything. I'm going to be true to my covenant. And uh, Isaac's response is to build an altar and call on the name of the Lord. Now, we've bumped into this little phrase several times in the book of Genesis. The first thing you think of is prayer, and it no doubt includes that. But a number of commentators are, say that this probably also includes proclamation. 
But whatever is involved in that little phrase, this much is certain, he responded to the Lord out of gratitude. Praise. He just thanked the Lord. Now, I hope one of the great things you've heard me say over and over, how many, do I say that every Sunday when it's prayer time? And I say, it's not time for you to listen to me, it's time for you to pray, and what I tell you to do? Just thank the Lord. Just thank the Lord. You know, there are two possibilities in life. You either become grateful or you become a griper. Do you know people who walk around griping all the time? Well, let me just tell you, if you live in America, no matter how difficult your situation is, as compared to a lot of people in this world, you are blessed. And what you should be doing is just being grateful to the Lord, right? Instead of walking around griping all the time. So that's what he did. He just, he just praised the Lord, just was grateful to the Lord. Now that's, his, that's the outcome with the Lord. The Lord said, Isaac, saw it, buddy, saw my promise, saw my covenant, and I saw what you did, and I'm pleased, and I'm going to bless you. Don't you have anything to fear? Then he gets a visit from Abimelech. Look at um, verse 26. And Abimelech came and brought some of his friends and the commander of his army, like Phicol. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? What is going on now? You kicked me out of town, and now you come to visit me? What's going on? What trick is up your sleeve? So here's what they said. We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Ooh, stop, don't go any further. I said a minute ago, calling on the Lord might include proclamation. So this much is clear. Uh, they could have seen him prosper and not know it was the Lord, right? So for them to know it was the Lord, notice it says the Lord, not God. We've seen the Lord, and in my text it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see that? That's the personal name of God. That's the covenant name of God. So that means that Isaac told them all this blessing is from the Lord, not the God, the Creator, but the covenant God of Israel. So they said, you know what? We've watched you, and, and we, we've concluded the Lord is with you. Now let me tell you something. You need to respond to difficulty by trusting the Lord for two reasons. The Lord's sake and the testimony to other people. That's very important. That people see you going through trouble and they say, you know what? The Lord's with that lady. The Lord's with that fellow. That honors the Lord like nothing else. That they see us trusting the Lord in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. So they ran him out of town. They covered up his wells three times, and he didn't retaliate. He just kept moving, just kept trusting the Lord, 
seeking peace. He didn't seek to fight them, though he had the greater force and could have. So, he just responded graciously. So, they said to him, verse 28, we have certainly seen how the Lord is with you. So they said, tell you what, um, let there be an oath between us and you, and let's make a covenant. We've decided we want a covenant with you. What? You are the people that threw him out of town, was in, were envious of him, hated him, were jealous of him, and you want to make a covenant? That's interesting. Then he said, look at verse 29, that you will do us no harm. <laughs> He's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They're realizing that God, the Lord, is behind this fella, and they say, uh, we want a covenant because we're still afraid of you, and we don't want you to hurt us. Since we have not touched you, and since we've not any, done anything to you but good, and have sent you away in peace, and now you are blessed of the Lord. By the way, this is a reference to the fact, do you remember earlier Isaac went there and then lied about his wife, Rebecca, and said it was his sister? And they turned her back over? So when they say we've done nothing but good to you, that's what they're referring to. They, they did that. So they said, look, we just want to make this permanent. And so verse 30 says, they said, all right, Let's have dinner together. Time to eat. So they threw a feast, and they ate, and they drank. And then they got up the next morning, and they swore an oath, verse 31, uh, one with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace, which I think is a major part of this story. And the servants came and said, Hey, we dug another well, and guess what? We found water. The Lord is still blessing them. And he called that place a Hebrew word, which means oath. That's where we made a covenant with these people, and we live in peace. Now, you might say that what's going on in this passage is that it's a renewal of the covenant they made with Abraham. That, that's a possibility. Whatever the case, there's a non-aggression pact. I think if this were going on today and the Los Angeles Times and the New York Times were going to report this, the headline would be, they signed a non-aggression pact. We're going to live at peace. We're not going to jump on to each other. We're not going to fight with each other. All right, very interesting little story, I think the sum of which is simple. When Isaac was faced with opposition, he trusted the Lord and graciously dealt with his neighbors. And consequently, the Lord blessed him materially with prosperity and spiritually with peace with his neighbor. Now, I want to wrap this up by pointing out several things. If I say this one more time, you're going to get used to me saying this. How often do I look at a passage and then say, in the context of the book, I want to remind you that proper interpretation of any passage is in the 
context of the book. So if you look at this passage in the context of Genesis, one of the things you have to say is that this passage is teaching the Lord is faithful. This section of verses shows God's faithfulness and his blessing to Isaac as he had promised. Isaac enjoyed this bountiful harvest. Abimelech had testified to his power, all of which was another testimony to God's faithfulness. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said it extended to his son Isaac, and as he promised, God blessed Isaac. That doesn't mean he didn't have to respond. He did. As a matter of fact, that's the second thing I would say. I would say Isaac exercised faith. That embedded in this story is that the Lord blessed him, and he was trusting the Lord. It's not stated, but you can't read the passage without seeing that he wasn't fighting, he was exercising faith. He was simply trusting the Lord. Somebody says in this passage, Isaac never wavered of his confident trust. He quietly and resolutely went about the business of obtaining water for his flocks and his crops. God and God above blessed him. Another has said, God's people must maintain confident trust in God's promise of provision in spite of the envy and hostility of unbelievers that his blessing sometimes provokes. thought that was a particularly interesting statement. Another has pointed out, the similarities between Genesis 26 and Genesis 21 show a deliberate attempt by the writer to parallel Isaac with Abraham. This account of Isaac's dealing with the Philistines portray Isaac as very much walking in his father's footsteps. He receives similar promises, faces similar tests, fails similarly, but eventually triumphs in like fashion. Indeed, in certain respects, he is given more in the promises and, and achieves more. He has promised all these lands in verse 4. And by the end of the story, he is securely settled in Beersheba and has a treaty with the Philistines in which he is acknowledged as their superior, end of quote. So, if opposition should come, believers can take the lead from the example of Isaac on how to live in peace. So this passage is clearly teaching the Lord is faithful to his covenant. That's in the context of the book. The passage is clearly implying that Isaac trusted the Lord. But the real thing that is stated and the result of all of that was peace. Fascinating. This is an illustration of the Lord making one's enemy to be at peace. If I were going to put one passage of Scripture beside this passage, I would put Proverbs 16, verse 7, which says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he, capital H, makes even his enemies be 
at peace with him. Now, let me be very careful here. Because the story illustrates that you can, your ways can please the Lord and you can have enemies. But ultimately, if your ways please the Lord, then even your enemies will see that and ultimately will be at peace with you. So when people live in a way that pleases the Lord, which includes pursuing peace, they may still have enemies, but the Prince of Peace makes their enemies to be at peace with them. Somebody has pointed out that Proverbs 16.7 is just that. It's a proverb. It's not a law. In other words, there are exceptions. A law doesn't have exceptions. A proverb isn't a law. It has exceptions. So this may have an exception. And the exception that is sometimes suggested is persecution. That you could be pursuing the Lord and serving him and be persecuted and your enemies not be at peace with you. And that would be an exception to the proverb. But the norm, what usually happens in the words of one is God turns enemies into friends. Think about that. When you respond properly and you're trusting the Lord and treating people graciously, the Lord turns enemies into friends. I have seen that happen. Saw it recently, I think, happening in somebody's life who attends this church. The Lord will make even your enemies be at peace with you. Someone has said a righteous life disarms opposition. It takes two to fight. So if you just lay down the weapons, go serve the Lord, the result will be peace. Got it? All right. What are you going to take home with you tonight? What I hope you will take, a whole bunch of lessons here, is that I'm going to pursue peace. Romans 12. As much as lieth within me, I am going to pursue peace. You do that, and God will turn your enemies into friends. Many years ago, many years ago, there was a gentleman named Stratton who treated Abraham Lincoln with utter contempt. He called him, and I quote, a low, cunning clown, end of quote, and, quote, the original gorilla, end of quote. Huh. I thought name-calling just started with this political crusade. Those are horrible names. And he said, uh, there's no need to go to Africa to capture a gorilla when one was available in Springfield, Illinois, which is where Abraham Lincoln was from. Lincoln never retaliated. Instead, you ready for this? 
he made Stratton the war minister, believing that he was the best qualified for the office. Years later, when Lincoln was killed by an assassin's bullet, Stratton looked down on the rugged face of Abraham Lincoln and tears rolling down his cheeks said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Be at peace. And the Lord just might make your enemy your friend. Father, we need grace for that because when we are opposed and people hate us and want to run us out of town and run us off the face of the earth, we want justice and we want to retaliate. So teach us, Father, to be gracious, to be gracious to others no matter how they treat us. In Jesus' name.